Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Dirty Steel Toe Boots, a podcast by the law firm of Ogletree Deacons for employers and those in their legal, safety, and HR departments who need to better understand OSHA as an agency and the law that governs it. It's actually our first episode of 2024. Uh, I'm your host, Philip Russell. I'm a shareholder in the Tampa office of the firm. I have a national practice in which I've handled about 200 OSHA fatality cases and hundreds of other kinds. We have one of the largest workplace safety and health practice groups in the country. We cover all 50 states with extensive experience, not just with Fed OSHA, but with state OSHA plans as well. Our approach is simple. Folks, you've heard me say it before, uh, it's, but it perhaps is not easy. We help clients avoid or minimize OSHA citations and improve safety along the way. This podcast is about education, not about legal advice for specific circumstances. As an employer, it is important for you to know what you can and cannot do, but also what OSHA can and cannot do. You can't hope to hold the agency accountable to the law if you don't know something about the law yourself. So education today, not uh, not advice for any specific circumstances. Uh, so let's get started with it. I, I am so excited that uh, we're starting off the new year of 2024 with uh, with my good friend Jim Plunkett from our D.C. office. Jim, welcome to the show. Hey, Phil. Glad to be here, and thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're here, and I want you to, as first time on the podcast, so share with the audience a little bit about who you are, and you know, you're a member of the firm. But what do you do for the firm? What you, what, you don't actively practice law in the sense that I do, but yeah. you're an important part. So explain to everybody what you do. Yeah, well, yeah. Thanks, thanks for that, Phil. So yeah, I do have a very unique role in in the firm. My job is to be. I say it's sort of to be the, the eyes and the ears uh, for, for our clients in, in Washington, D.C., but also, as you know, Phil, for, for our colleagues, right, for, for you. You and I talk quite a bit about what, what's happening in, in Washington, D.C., um, but so I help sort of decipher the, the alphabet soup of the federal agencies, uh, specifically the, the, the workplace agencies like the Department of Labor or the National Labor Relations Board, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, uh, and also monitor uh, le- legislation and activity on Capitol Hill. Uh, and all this, Phil, is to, um, to help sort of forecast for our clients, you know, what's coming down the pike uh, from a legislative standpoint, from a regulatory standpoint, so that our clients can be prepared, so they understand what, what's happening, so that they can make adjustments to their, their policies. And, and also in some cases, as you know, and I know that you've participated in some of these uh, activities, Phil, but is to help uh, influence the outcome of some of these uh, these initiatives. So that's what I do here at Ogletree. Yeah, and specifically, one area in which you've been very helpful has been the preparation and submission of comments on proposed regulations uh, and participating in that process. And I know you've done that for for some industry associations I work with regularly, as in, in addition to some of the firm's larger clients as well. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, the the as you know, uh, the the last I guess maybe twenty years or so, Phil. The um, so much of the policy that's coming out of Washington D.C. is through the agencies, through the regulatory process, because 
let's face it, you know, there's not a, a, a heck of a lot of bipartisanship on Capitol Hill these days. So when I don't what for what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, no, no surprise there. Um, but so it's important for for the regulated community to engage in the, 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 the what they call the notice and comment process when agencies are uh, in the in, in the process of developing rules and you know proposing rules uh, to, to finalizing rules. It's really important for stakeholders to, to play a role, to voice their opinions, to let the agencies know what they like about a proposal, what they don't like about a proposal. Uh, and the, the end goal there is hopefully that the uh, the administration, whether there's a, a, a D after the administration or an R after the administration, that hopefully, you know, they, they get a, they produce a final regulation that has that input from from the regulated community. And that's one of the things that I help our clients with is 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 making their concerns known uh, to agencies like the Department of Labor when they're proposing rules. Well, I'll tell you that uh, perhaps that right there is the first takeaway from this podcast is is engage. And I made a note about that just listening to what you're saying, Jim, because I think it's very important for folks to understand that engagement now may not mean the same thing as it meant 10 or 20 years ago. And, and I, I've done all these trips to the you know day on the hill and all these legislative trips for for agencies and clients myself or not agencies, sorry, associations. Uh, and clients, individual employers. And it always seems to be focused on, you know, day on the hill, let's go meet the legislatures, leaders, let's meet the folks that are making the laws. But the reality is certainly, at least in the last 10 years, it seems there's been a, such a huge shift to where there's so much more activity going on with the agencies and engagement with the agencies really is critical. It, it sure is, Phil. And particularly, you know, they're, th- these rulemakers, the drafters, you know, they're really good at what they do, again, across the board politically. They're all very good at, at what they do, but they just cannot grasp uh, what uh, every single employer is dealing with or, or how their their proposal would impact each and every employer uh, throughout the country. Right. And uh, so something like and we can get into this in a little bit, like a heat standard uh, that that OSHA's uh, working on, you know, that's going to impact you know, a whole slew of industries in very, very different ways. Um, so it is important for industry to to let the regulators know, like, hey, did you think about X? Did you think about Y? Uh, if this rule goes final, it's going to impact us in the following negative ways or in the following positive ways, right? So they need to hear that feedback. And I think that's something that we have got to engage in the process. So I, you know, I, you know, again, thank you and applaud you for the work you do. And I really encourage the listeners here to consider getting involved, whether individually as an employer or through a, an, an industry association. I think it's it's critical to engage in. And you know, and actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip a little bit out of order, Jim. I hope you don't mind. But while we're on the subject of where where the law gets made in Congress or where the law gets made in an agency, was the subject of some very robust debate last week in front of the Supreme Court. The right. uh, Loper Bright Enterprises versus Raimondo case was uh, up, and there was a companion case. I don't remember its name, but the whole issue there was the Chevron deference, which was, you know, to what extent should the courts defer to agency interpretation of allegedly ambiguous statutes? And all that had to do with fishing. And as I, I posted on LinkedIn last week, what does fishing have to do with OSHA? Well, a lot. So we're not going to do too much of a deep dive, but it really does get to the balance of where our laws are made and how they're enforced, doesn't it? 
Right. Yeah. So this is a big one for, for lawyers and in particular uh, administrative lawyers, but anybody who's really dealing with agencies that you know are, are issuing regulations uh, and enforcing laws and regulations against, um, uh, in our case, employers, right? So this decision is likely coming out in, in June. Um, the Supreme Court is going to maybe decide, you know, whether courts should continue to defer to agencies' interpretations of ambiguous statutes, uh, or if that's uh, more of a job for the for the courts. Um, you know, we've seen in recent years, Phil, that sometimes the Supreme Court doesn't always give us that sort of black and white answer uh, that that we're looking for. Sometimes they also, if they've got a, a standard or a test or a doctrine that they're reviewing. They might, it's not necessarily that they're going to uphold it or, uh, or rescind it, but they might modify it. They might tweak it. Uh, so I think that is um, uh, always a possibility, right? That this Chevron deference uh, might not necessarily be overturned, but it might, uh, it just might be um, tweaked a little bit. Uh, we've seen the Supreme Court do that with a, a similar sort of deference issue to agencies uh, several years ago where they, they sort of tweaked the test. Uh, but this is something that uh, that em- employers uh, should should be watching because it could have a, a really significant impact on how agencies pursue enforcement actions in the future and how they pursue uh, their regulatory agendas in the future. So what you're telling me is, it seems to me that if the Supreme Court changes the Chevron deference and makes it not quite as uh, as robust as the deference seems to be right now, it would essentially be a message to Congress to fix ambiguities instead of agencies fixing alleged ambiguities. Does that seem about right? Right. And that's, yeah, that goes to a lot of these sort of separation of powers discussions that that come up when folks are talking or writing ab- about this case. But yeah, some uh, folks who are critics of the current Chevron deference standard say that uh, one of the reasons why it's bad is that, you know, it, it sort of incentivizes our federal legislators to uh, write ambiguous rules and to not really do the hard work of compromising and uh, writing clear statutes and, you know, create situations where they, you know, they they get the ball to the sort of, say, five yard line. Uh, we're in the middle of the playoffs here, so maybe that analogy is apt. <laughs> Um, but, you know, they get the ball to the five yard line and then they say, all right, that's good enough. Um, we can let the agencies run with this legislation, even though it's not completely clear uh, about what we're saying here. We'll just let the, the agencies interpret what um, what we've written here and they, they can figure the rest out. So folks who, who don't like uh, Chevron deference are saying like, hey, if we get rid of it, this will mean that we'll, you know, we'll we'll hold Congress to account and they'll have to write clearer laws uh, that everybody can understand. Okay, well, let's move on. I mean, great discussion there. I guess stay tuned. We'll, we'll get a decision. What sometime around June, we think. Yeah, this seems like one of those ones where they'll 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 hand it out in June, right before their term ends. Okay, let's now go back over to the agency. Let's talk about OSHA. No, sure. no change in leadership at the agency itself, but perhaps at the Department of Labor itself, which is the, the mother agency, because OSHA is part of the Department of Labor. And Julie Sues is still the acting Secretary of Labor. What, what's her status right now? Yeah, so she she's sort of wearing two hats in a way, Phil. She's the, the acting Secretary of Labor. She sort of stepped into the role after Marty Walsh 
the uh, President Biden's uh, original Secretary of Labor. But uh, so Julie Sue's been acting uh, in, since his departure, uh, but she's also the the nominee, the the, the permanent secretary, so you know, so to speak. Uh, and uh, she was nominated uh, in the last se- the previous session of, of Congress, and she made it through her committee, the the committee vetting process uh, in in the Senate, but. They never held a vote on her nomination on the Senate floor, and that's because uh, it was pretty clear that all the Republicans opposed her. Um, but Senator uh, Manchin from West Virginia, he came out in a in a public statement that he said that he wouldn't support her. So, the 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 with those the, the razor thin majority that the Democrats have in the Senate, they with um, Manchin defecting, and maybe there were some other defections that they knew about. They said they didn't have the votes. To, to get her across the finish line. So they just never voted for her. So she just sort of served in this acting capacity as she's continuing to do today. Um, but then President Biden renominated her uh, for this second session of the, 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 the current Congress. And it's sort of a, a, a curious move because, Phil, I'm not sure uh, what's changed uh, or, or why President Biden thinks that he might be able to get her across the finish line and get her confirmed as the permanent Secretary of Labor now. So it's it's a little bit of a... Um, an odd move. And going back to the whole, you know, regulatory process, regulatory ambiguity, it does create a little bit of a situation here where, you know, there's a possibility of potential um, legal uh, recourse for, um, uh, you know, em- employers who are maybe subject of enforcement actions or a regulatory uh, uh, action that are pursued under Sue's watch because, you know, maybe she shouldn't be in this in this role. Maybe she's been acting secretary for too long. It sort of creates this uncertainty about her, her, her legal position um, that might create some legal arguments down the road that could upend what the Department of Labor is doing. Well, that may sort itself all out in the elections, right? I mean, the election cycle will determine who's in the White House, whether it continues to be President Biden or someone else. Uh, would determine her status, I guess. So maybe that's another wait and see. Meanwhile, continue to engage. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Let's talk about the budget. So real quick on the numbers, not to get too granular here, but the 2023 budget, we saw a 3.3% increase from the prior fiscal year, which wasn't an enormous increase, about 20 million. But the request I think I, I saw uh, from you is that in 2024, OSHA wants to go up by a 17% increase, which I think your math showed about if they wanted to put it all towards hiring, could be an additional 430 full-time equivalent employees or, you know, call it, uh, I'm not sure they would all go into enforcement. Yeah, but maybe they do. Is, is that still the request we're looking at for OSHA for this year or for next year? Yeah, you know, this is like, like everything else in life, Phil, like follow the money, right? Um, it, it's all about the money for, for, for many of us and uh, uh, for OSHA, they're, they're no different, right? So with um, if they're going to continue with a robust regulatory agenda, a robust enforcement agenda, uh, they want they need more money. Um, and uh, this this slight increase that they got that they're working under now, remember, is when uh, Democrats controlled uh, you know the White House, the Senate, and the House, right? Uh, so the sort of the stars aligned for them on that one, and that's why they were able to get their that slight increase. But now I think their request uh, is going to be a little bit more difficult with uh, re- with Republicans in charge of the House. And we've seen since September the uh, Congress having to punt, basically, to use another football analogy, on the federal budget. Right. So we're, we're still working off of this 
this $632 million budget that, that OSHA is working on. I don't think uh, that any sort of final compromise is, is going to, to, to give, uh, if they ever get to one, um, is going to give DOL and or OSHA, uh, you know, a huge windfall increase. Uh, I could see them giving OSHA a slight increase to keep up with, you know, in, inflation and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but I don't think OSHA is going to get, be getting a, a, a ton of money um, uh, with Republicans in charge of the House. OK, let's take a look at that regulatory agenda. And, and, and I know that these things are shifting and that, that what's on it, what's not on it you know, tends to, to shift uh, you know, quarter to quarter, it seems. But let's talk about three items in particular and not not a deep dive on any of these, but the walk around rule, heat illness and the workplace violence. Those mm-hmm. three are still sort of in the pipeline. Um, and let's, let's start with walk around rule. Where are we at with the walk around rule? I've talked about it on this podcast, talked about it in LinkedIn, and I know a lot of our colleagues have addressed it, but where are we with that rule? Yeah, this is, this is a significant one, Phil, right? And I'm sure you talked about this on the podcast, but part of the reason why this is so significant is we've sort of seen a version of this in the past, right? Uh, this walk around, uh, regulatory proposal existed previously in the form of a, uh, of a letter, uh, and it was called the walk around letter um, that was a uh, became a, a victim of a change in administration. Right. The, the, the Trump administration got rid of that. And so uh, there's a saying in Washington, D.C., that no bad idea ever completely goes away. Uh, and when the, the Biden administration came in, they, they they resuscitated the walk around letter. But they said, hey, let's make this a little bit more concrete. Uh, let's like make it a little bit more durable and lasting, and we're going to um, make it in the form of a regulation, right? So uh, they had a proposal, and you know we talked about the, the notice and comment process. Well, that that process closed uh, a little bit before Thanksgiving uh, of, of of 2023, and so they're in the process now of reviewing the comments, and they're going to issue a final rule. I would expect a final rule uh, to come sometime by this summer, Phil. And uh, the, the reason for that is, is that, um, and this isn't just OSHA, it's not the Department of Labor, but all of the agencies are trying to finalize their regs sooner rather than later, because they don't want to be in a situation where, uh, say, the, uh, there's a Republican in the White House and Republicans in the Senate and in the House. Um, and if they propose a regu- or finalize a regulation too late in the year, that Republican administration could have an opportunity under a statute called the Congressional Review Act to rescind that regulation. But if they finalize it early enough, it won't fall into this window where it's eligible for that rescission. So they want to get these things done, I think, probably by the by the summer. So that, that's that's what I'm expecting on the, the walk around letter. So last year, we all, I think, in our practice group, our OSHA practice group in the firm, we all kept guessing about which month in 2023 we would see a a heat illness rule. I'll skip to that one next. And and I, we all got it wrong. So what about heat? Are you also, same time frame, expecting a heat illness uh, proposed reg to come out? Because un, unlike the walk-around rule, we have the proposed walk-around rule. We're just waiting on there to be finalized. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Heat, we don't, heat. we don't yet have a heat rule. We just have some indications about what may be in there, but we don't have a proposed rule yet. 
there, there's a lot of smoke before the, the fire, I guess, uh, uh, with the heat proposal here. Uh, well, uh, the, well played, by the way, well played. This is a very, like, you know, sometimes, and you know this, Phil, when, when OSHA is getting into these standards, it gets very, very technical, very, very scientific. And so for things like heat, uh, there, there's a lot of issues, a lot of science that they're, they're figuring out. They're also trying to figure out, you know, hey, how do we come up with a standard that could apply to the work that happens outside, to work that happens inside, uh, to work that happens sort of, you know, remotely, like in, in, in trucks, you know, where there's no sort of maybe set workplace, or you're moving around to work from worksite to worksite. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, different applications of a, of a potential heat standard. And that's one of the things I think that, that OSHA is struggling with. Um, so uh, this is on sort of the, uh, a slower pace, I think, than say the, the, the walk around letter. Uh, they just concluded a, uh, what they call a small business review panel that's conducted by the Small Business Administration. And that, that sort of provides OSHA with some feedback about industry feedback about how the rules would be, uh, how a potential rule would be uh, felt by various you know, industry um, uh, community members. I think we might see a pro- proposal at some point uh, this year, but I think really, Phil, when we're talking about OSHA and a heat reg, we're talking about a President Biden second term reg, right? Uh, they might get a proposed now, and then if President Biden wins, you know, they'll they'll look to sort of continue the pro- the, the regulatory process and finalize it at some point in in that second administration. If President Biden doesn't win, you know, I don't think this will uh, go very far in a, in a Republican administration. Okay. But so may, maybe a proposal, but no final rule, you know, certainly within 2024. Well, you brought up politics, right? And <laughs> what, what do they say in, in polite conversation? Never bring up uh, multiple subjects, religion and politics being two. But hey, let's jump right in. Why not? So let's talk about the politics in 2024. I mean, it, from what I'm hearing you're saying is that it may not do anything to slow down the issuance of the walk around, the final walk around rule, but maybe slow down the heat just because of the regulatory process and the impending politics. But what other impacts do you see? I mean, I guess maybe do you have a crystal ball for 2024 for the rest of us? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not like the 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 pollster n- numbers guy, Phil. But when I, what I can speak to is, you know, depending on what the outcome is and how how it could impact policy, right? So, you know, if we do have a, a, a Biden administration, it is you know a second Biden administration. You know, they've got the sort of apparatus, all regulatory apparatus already in place. They've got their people in place already. Now, there'll be lots of, you know, people who will leave. Right. And they'll they'll go into the private sector or maybe they'll go somewhere else in the government. But um, some of them will stay. But it's certainly a lot easier to, you know, sort of continue a regulatory and enforcement agenda rather than to come in and, you know, start it back up from the ground floor with a whole new set of, of political appointees. So if we have a second Biden administration, you know, we're going to see uh, a, a heat, um, probably a final heat reg. We're probably going to see a final uh, reg dealing with perhaps workplace violence uh, in uh, the social care and healthcare care uh, settings. Um, you know, we also could, could create a situation right where we've got Democrats controlling the, the Senate and the, and the House, too. And that sort of potentially opens the doors for things like uh, uh, heat rela- uh, or OSHA related, workplace safety related legislation, 
uh, which uh, is not something that we're you know usually that concerned about. Um, and also things dealing with, uh, you know, unionization. I know this isn't a unionization or, or traditional labor podcast, but things like the Protecting the Right to Organize Act would, would potentially be on the table, too. If we have a Republican uh, ad- administration, uh, I think we're going to see perhaps what we saw with a Trump administration, where there's going to be a little bit of an unwinding of some of these uh, regulation. So you could see uh, an unwinding or a rescission of a final walk around regulation. You could see an unwinding of the injury and illness reporting regulation like we saw with the, the, the Trump administration. So I think that that's what we would see in a Republican administration is sort of saying like, hey, you know, we're, we're dealing with these rules that the Biden administration passed and we, we think they've had a, a, a negative impact on on, on the economy in general and, and certain other regulated groups and we're going to we're going to unwind them so uh i think that's how how this sort of different outcomes would result in different policy agendas jim i cannot imagine a more interesting year for you my friend because we had the election like you said we we're talking about a presidential election the house the senate both are in play who knows which way they're going to go we have the loper decision at the supreme court that impacts the balance of power wow are you excited? What a great year for you. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be wild. And, you know, we've got, as you know, Phil, we've got our uh, workplace strategies, our, uh, 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 sympo- our conference, our big employer conference. It's what, a four-day conference, I think, uh, that we have every year. And then we bounce around from city to city. And, you know, how fortuitous uh, that we have it in uh, in May this year in Washington, D.C., and, but it's certainly going to be a great time to be uh, in, in Washington, D.C. But yeah, and for me, it'll keep me busy and being busy is good. I want to promote one more thing, and that is frankly this. Your newsletter called The Beltway Buzz comes out every Friday. And I don't know where you get your wit and wisdom, but I appreciate that newsletter and recommend it to everybody. I think it's really a lot of fun. You, you must have a blast writing that newsletter every Friday. It, it is. It is a lot of fun, Phil. I, I, I enjoy doing it. And like you, like I get all these, you know, update emails, too. So I know what I like to read. And, uh, you know, um, I, I don't have a lot of time to go through lengthy articles. So I do try to make the newsletter very brief and, and pithy, uh, but uh, informative as well. So I uh, appreciate that. Well, Jim, thanks so much for being on today. I, I really enjoyed having you on. And uh, we'll um, we'll have you again later in the year and see if any of these uh any of our expectations are anywhere close to what we talked about today, because I guess you never know. You, you never know, Phil, but uh, thank you very much for having me. It was a great time. Folks, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Dirty Steel Toe Boots. We'll be back at you again soon and continue to watch what's going on at the agency at OSHA with regard to enforcement uh, in the field. Uh, certainly what we're seeing a lot at the state level, a lot at the local level, a lot of topics to discuss this year. So uh, we'll be back with you soon. Thanks, folks. Take care. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.